All right, today we're in week two of Stuck, and apparently this is a very needed, very necessary series um, because I heard a lot from a lot of you last week about how necessary, how needed, how much you appreciated this series and the things that we're talking about. And so we're going to just dive right into week two. Here's what we're saying. All of us know the frustration that we feel right now about being stuck because of something that is well beyond our control, something that's so it's completely beyond our control. And yet many of us all too readily accept being stuck in areas that are completely within our control. And so we're talking about how to get unstuck because chances are, if you're stuck in an area that's be, that's within your control, you got yourself stuck. But the good news is if you got yourself stuck, you can probably follow Jesus into getting yourself unstuck. Now today, I wanna to talk about a big concept, a big, a big term, and something that I think might be a little offensive as we talk about it, because it's something that's not often talked about in church. It's the simple word maturity. See, maturity is a big deal, and maturity is a big concept. And, and I've learned something, and we've learned something as it, as it comes to maturity when it, when it comes to parenting over the last few years. And what we've learned is that when, when we have kids, there are some checkpoints of maturity. And, what we've, and the way we've learned this, and the way that many of you have learned this, most of you have learned this, is that when you have kids, you have to take them for regularly scheduled checkups. And, and we, we, just a few weeks ago, we had Noble's you know, three-year checkup as she turned, uh, the week after she turned three. We'll have Marvel's one-year checkup at, in, in later this week. And, and every time you go in with a toddler, with a baby, with a child, they have a checklist of things that are age-appropriate for that child to be doing. You know, are they doing this? Are they able to do this? Have they stopped doing this? It's basically checking, the do- what the doctors are doing is they're checking to see, is this child maturing appropriately. So like I said, a few weeks back, we had Noble's three-year checkup right after her third birthday, and, and we went in, and Noble passed the three-year checklist with flying colors. Everything on it, we were like, yep, she's doing the stuff that she's supposed to do. She's not doing the things that she's not supposed to do, and neither of us lied. You know, it wasn't like we were lying to impress the doctor. Like, she's actually doing all the stuff that she's supposed to do, and she's not doing the stuff that she's supposed to do. She, she's growing up appropriately, and so the doctor, when we were in there, she saw the list, and I think because a lot of people lie on these checklists to make themselves look like better parents, she, you know, asked Noble if she could actually demonstrate the ability to do some of the higher level things that not all three-year-olds are able to do. And so she handed her a pen and she asked her to, you know, draw the letter A and asked her to draw a straight line and draw a circle. And Noble was able to do all of those things. And I was like, yes, our child is growing up appropriately. And even some of the stretching things, like she is able to do all those things. And then, and then the doctor looked at Noble and she handed it. And so Noble had handed the pen back to the doctor and the doctor looked back at Noble and she handed her back the pen. She said, take the pen. Um, can you draw daddy? And I looked at, and I was like, I had a moment of panic because that was not on the checklist. That was not, you know, can you draw daddy was not on the checklist. But I, so, so I kind of looked at Noble. I said, yeah, can you go ahead and try? And Noble looked at me and she was kind of like looking really nervous. And I was like, okay, let's see what she can do. And I got to say, what Noble came up with was really impressive. Let me, let me show you the picture that Noble drew because I had it framed actually. This is what Noble came up with. No, that is not what Noble came up with. Noble wasn't able to draw daddy because at three years old, Noble is not supposed to be able to draw 
daddy. And so, you know, we left. The doctor patted her on the head. She said everything was great. She said that was great. She said she wasn't supposed to be able to draw daddy. And I was like, okay, cool. So we went home, and Jalen was asking me all about the checkup because, we, you know, only one of us could be there at a time. And so I was filling around on everything that had happened. And uh, I said, there's this one weird thing. Like, you know, we did all this stuff with the checklist, and the doctor made sure she could do everything that we said she could do. And, um, but, then, but then the doctor handed her the thing and asked her to, to draw daddy, and that wasn't on the checklist. And, and Jalen said, oh, that's probably one of those things where if they're able to do everything else, they just hit, throw them something and ask them to do something just to test if they're a genius. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, because my, parent, my ego is entirely tied to my daughter's ability to do things and what people think of my daughter. And so I was like, oh, man, our daughter is so advanced that the doctor thought she might just be a genius. And I said that out loud, and Jalen said, yeah, but she wasn't. And I was like, oh. And so anyway, so, so anyway, our daughter's growing up appropriately. She's at, she's at the proper state of maturity. She's advancing at the, right, at the right phase, which at the very least means we haven't messed her up developmentally yet. So congratulations to Noble Daddy and, and Mommy haven't messed you up yet. Anyway, like I said, doctors do that for children to make sure that children are maturing at the right pace, that they are maturing correctly. The problem for all of us is that doctors stop doing that for us right about the time we get to middle school and high school and all of the emotions and all of the stuff kicks in and they stop doing that for us. And no one in life seems to have a checklist. So consequently, it's possible along the way of life to miss a step of maturity. And because it's possible to miss a step of maturity, it is very possible to get stuck when it comes to our maturity. So to get some interaction going here today, let me ask you to do something for me. If someone has ever called you immature, which I imagine this is going to be most of us, if someone has ever called you immature, can you hit the like button on YouTube or hit the emoji bar on Facebook? And again, I give you permission, whatever emoji, whatever emotion that brings out of you when someone calls you immature, you can hit the emoji bar on Facebook with that emotion. Now, the dictionary defines mature in a couple ways. The first one is simply this. It's relatively advanced physically, mentally, emotionally, grown up. Number two is having reached full and natural growth or development. Now, before we start talking today about what maturity and immaturity are, let me talk for a little bit about what maturity is not. Immaturity is not, hey, you're 21, why are you not in college? It's not, hey, you're 25, how are you not married by now? It's not, hey, you're 30, why don't you have kids yet? It's also not, hey, you're 40, what are you, what are you doing still renting? See, as you reach adulthood, maturity isn't about hitting milestones by a certain age, but rather having the proper mindset and abilities to handle the season of life in which you find yourself. So in light of that, here's what immaturity can often look like. See, immaturity or being, or being stuck when it comes to maturity, it looks like this. It looks like beginning college, but still thinking of college life the way you thought about high school life. It looks like handling money in college the way you handled it in high school when mommy and daddy either hooked you up or bailed you out. It looks like getting married, but still thinking, behaving, and operating like a single person. It looks like becoming a parent and trying to live like a person who doesn't have kids. It looks like being the parent of a high schooler, but you're still hovering and, and still trying to be a helicopter parent, kind of like you were when they were in elementary school. And they needed you to be in a, a helicopter when they were in elementary school and when they were a toddler, but they don't need that while you're in high school. It looks like as you hit 55, you're still saving for retirement like you did when you were 25. It looks like refusing to go see a doctor because you're just as healthy as you were when you were 24. See, immaturity almost always looks 
like a refusal to let go of something in your past so that you can embrace the reality of your present. Now, you, you might be wondering, because I, I had this thought as, as I was writing this, as I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks. Like, is, is this really something that we should be talking about in church? This sounds like all the stuff my wife brings up when we're having a fight, when we're having an argument. This sounds like all of that. Is this spiritual? Like, I don't want to hear about this in church. And in the answer to the, to, the, to the question, is this spiritual? Does God care about our maturity? Absolutely. God cares deeply about our maturity. God cares big time about our maturity. And so let me, just in case you're thinking this isn't a spiritual thing, let me read you a few passages from the New Testament, and I'm just going to read my favorite eight to you. And I'm going to go rapid fire through this, and they're going to pop up on screen. But here's eight of my favorite passages from the New Testament. There's about 15, but I'm just going to read you my favorite eight. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9 and then 11 say this, We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. And then in verse 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace, and the, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4.13 says this, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Colossians 1.28 says this, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hebrews 5.14 says this, Solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. James 1.4 says this, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then James 3 verse 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Does God care about our maturity? Absolutely. Why does God seem to care so much about maturity? Let me give you two, two thoughts that I have, two, two, two things that I'm fairly certain of. See, immaturity can easily undermine the credibility of our claims about Christ's ability to change a life. Just in case it's not clear what I'm saying here, if you are talking to someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and maybe they're on the fence about Jesus, and you're talking about Jesus's ability to change a life because he's changed my life so much, and when they look at your life, they see immaturity, it undermines the, que the, the capability of Jesus to change the, uh, your life in their mind. If you're like, Jesus changes a life, but when they look at you, they see, but you're still doing this. You're still really immature. You're still really immature. Like you act like a four-year-old. You act like a 15-year-old. You're 40, but you act like an 18-year-old. If they look at that and see that and go, but they're saying Jesus changes life, but I don't think they've changed, he's changed theirs much. It undermines the credibility of our claims about Jesus to change life. We have to grow up so that we can be credible when we talk about Jesus's ability to change a life. And here's the second reason. If you're stuck in immaturity, there is someone who's being hurt by your immaturity. There is someone who's having to pick up the weight because you're not carrying the weight that you're supposed to carry. There is someone who's having to pick up the, the, the consequences of your irresponsibility or your immaturity. There's someone who's having to carry more weight because you are not carrying it. There's someone who may be being hurt by the, by the consequences of your choices and you don't realize it because you're, because you're just not paying attention, but someone around you and probably some of the people who care about you the most and you care about the most are being hurt by your immaturity and your inability to grow into the person that you are supposed to be at this stage of life. 
And let me just say, the reason that God cares about this so much is that that someone who's being hurt by your immaturity is someone that God loves. And it's impossible for things to be right with you and God while you are hurting someone that God loves. So the question is, why do we get stuck? And if we find ourselves stuck, how do we get unstuck? Why do we so frequently find ourselves holding on to something from our past that we refuse to let go of? And why do we find ourselves resisting becoming the person that we're meant to be right now? I think when you look at the Bible, when you look at life, I think all of us can identify that there are are kind of two causes and two solutions. Here, Here are the problems. Number one, it's an unresolved pain in our past. And number two, an unrealistic joy in our past. Let's talk first about our unresolved pain in the past. See, a lot of times when we're stuck in immaturity, it's because at some point along the way, you experienced a hurt so deep that it literally paralyzed you. In my years of ministry, I I have seen this over and over again. I saw this a lot in in my work as a youth pastor. In my work as a youth pastor, I saw teenagers whose parents got divorced and it got ugly and it became traumatic for for those children. And they were 15 when it happened. And years later, they turned 22, but they're now a 14-year-old living in a 22-year-old's body. They got stuck and they never really grew up. And they got stuck at exactly the point where their parents' divorce became traumatic for them. I've seen people who unexpectedly lost a loved one and they got stuck as a result. And life kept moving forward, but they didn't. They got stuck where all of their relationships, all their friendships, all their career work, they got stuck. It kind of looks the exact same as it did at the exact moment of maturity where they lost that loved one. Come on, you've even seen this where, where someone in their, in their early 20s goes through a breakup that's incredibly painful and they were absolutely in love and they were absolutely sure that this was the relationship that was going to go the distance. It was going to go, it was going to last forever. And then a breakup happened and it was so painful and it was so traumatic that years and years and years and years went by. And over the years and years and years, and even as they turned 30, as they turned 35, they were still approaching relationships and they were still approaching romantic relationships the same way that they did as that hurt 21 year old. And here's, here's the thing. The reason that we get stuck in in these situations is obvious. We're fighting a battle with reality. We're attempting to fight against the reality of what happened. We wish it didn't happen, but it did. So we find ourselves fighting against the reality that we actually find ourselves in, that we actually live in. And if you have ever found yourself there, or if you find yourself there in the future, or if you find yourself there right now, let me just say something to you. As long as you are fighting reality, there is no way forward. As long as you're fighting reality, there is no way forward when it comes to maturity, when it comes to growing up. Because as long as you're fighting a reality that happened four years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, 15 years ago, you cannot step into today's reality while you are still fighting a reality that existed in the past. So if that's you, if you've got some of that in your story, the the question becomes, well, what do we do about that? How do we respond to that? How do we begin to grow and mature if we've been stuck in in immaturity for a while, for four years, for six years, for 10 years, because of something that happened in our past? I think the Apostle Paul gives us an incredible, an incredible answer and an incredible response to that question. In Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 25, he said this, therefore, Put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. And then he says this, he said, be angry and do not sin. In other words, it's okay to feel whatever you feel about what happened, but not every response, not every action, not everything that you have chosen in response to what you feel is correct, is right. 
See, God gives you permission to feel whatever you feel, and those feelings are real. But he also says, whatever you do, you are not given permission to respond any way that you want to respond as a result. In other words, you can be angry, you can fight that reality, but if you continue to fight the reality, you will find yourself in the wrong place. And then he said this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, some pastors use this as marriage advice to, to, to work through your anger and to work through your conflict before you go to bed. Never let your head hit the pillow angry. And some of you know, if you apply that to marriage, some of you just would never sleep. And if you don't sleep, you'll fight more, okay? And so that's not necessarily always the best advice. But what Paul is actually talking about and the language that he actually used points us into a more accurate description. See, what Paul is talking about, the language that he uses here, he's saying simply, don't carry anger from one season into the next season. Deal with your anger in the season that you find yourself angry. Don't carry, don't smuggle your anger, don't smuggle your fight against reality into the next season, the next relationship, the next phase of life, the next season of life, the next stage of life. If you smuggle your anger, your fight against reality from this stage into the next stage, Paul would say, that's where you find yourself in a place where you might even just be sinning against yourself, against God, because when you smuggle your fight against reality into the next season, you never find yourself in a good place. There is no forward motion in doing that. And then he closes the the thought off in verse 27 and 32. He says this, and don't give the devil an opportunity. See, Paul knew that anytime you smuggle the past into the present, you lose. And then he said this in verse 32, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you, in Christ. See, here's what he's saying. Fighting reality isn't a way forward. Forgiving reality is the only way forward. Forgiving the thing that happened, forgetting, forgiving what was said about you, forgiving what was said to you, forgiving the way that they treated you, forgiving the way life treated you. It's the only way forward. See, for some of you, you need to forgive your parents for their divorce. Their divorce was traumatic for you, and you never really got unstuck from that point. For some of you, you need to forgive an ex, whether that's an ex-spouse or an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend. See, the way they treated you made it difficult for you to trust again or difficult to love again, and you've had a difficult time moving on and handling a mature relationship ever since. Some of you, you need to forgive a family member who did something or said something that cut deep to the core, and since then, you've been in a place where you said, forget it, to meaningful family relationships. Some of you need to forgive a former boss because the way they spoke to you and the way they treated you made you distrustful of every future employer that you would ever have. And that thing from your past has been smuggled into every present job that you have had ever since. See, here, see here's the thing that, that I know and the thing that ultimately we, we all know. Forgiving them doesn't make what they did okay. Forgiveness frees you from carrying the weight of what they did one step further. And when you're not carrying the weight of what they did, you can actually be free to grow into the maturity that God has for you today. Let's be honest though. Some of you, there are things that no one did, life did. Some of you, you need to forgive life because life got brutal. Some of you, you need to forgive God because life got brutal. Some of you, let's be honest, you have dealt with incredibly brutal things in life where a family member got a diagnosis that changed your world in a flash and they were, and there was no one to blame, but it happened and it just sucked. 
For some of you, you've dealt with the, the pain and the frustration of, either, of infertility or you've dealt with the pain of miscarriages and there was no one to blame and you couldn't look around and blame someone and say, you did this and you did this and you did this. It just was frustrating. It just was hard. It just still is difficult to deal with that pain and that frustration and life got brutal and life got difficult and life got hard and there were tears that you cried and cried and cried for days and for months and for years that maybe you have cried because of what you experienced. And what I know is simply this, if you're, if, if you're, if you're feeling that frustration, it's okay for you to feel that frustration. But the way forward will mean that you might just need to forgive life because life got brutal. And as long as you're facing, and as long as you're fighting a battle against the reality of life, you cannot really move forward into the maturity that God has for you in the next season, or maybe even in this season of life. For some of you, let's be honest, you need to forgive God. Because when life got brutal, you blamed God. There was no one else that you could blame, so you blame God. And I've been there, and I think most of us have been there, where we felt like God could have and God should have, and if God would have, that wouldn't have happened to us. And I just want to say, like, I, I get that. But I also know you cannot have a healthy relationship with someone that you're blaming for your hurt. And so as much as we, we, we you know, so often need God to forgive us, for some of us, the most healthy step that we could take in our relationship with God is to actually forgive God for the things that we have blamed on God. Now, some of you, you're thinking right now, wait a minute, is he saying God actually did something wrong? Nope. But some of us have incorrectly blamed God. And as long as we're blaming God, we can't move forward in a relationship with God. And so even if we're incorrect in this stage, we need to forgive God for, for what we think he allowed when life got brutal. See, fighting reality isn't your way forward. Forgiveness is the way forward. Let's talk about the second aspect of getting stuck when it comes to immaturity. And that's our unrealistic joy about our past. See, if you have ever found yourself in an immature place and you didn't have one of those traumatic events in your past, chances are pretty good that this is the actual connection to why you got stuck in immaturity. That at some point along the way, you had the glory days and you didn't want to let them go, but maybe you had to let them go and you've been stuck trying to recreate them ever since, or you've been frustrated that you can't recreate them ever since. Yeah, I, I, I call this the summer of 69 syndrome. As the song at the beginning said, those were the best days of my life. Maybe it's that during college, you had a, a friend group that was so, 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 so tight. And then you graduated college and you moved away and you've never had a friend group like that again. See, this, this is one of those transition points in life that very few people talk about the difficulty of, but this is real. In, when you're in college, you have that group of friends that's so tight and, and friendships are so automatic and you have that peer group of, of people your own age that are around you all the time and you can pick and choose your friends and friendship comes very easy because you spend so much time together inside of classes, outside of classes, you know, all over the place. And when you move out, out of the college season of life and you move into jobs and you move, into other, move to other cities, that becomes much more difficult. You have no automatic peer group. But it's possible that as you group, you stayed stuck in the mentality where friendships should be easy, friendships should be automatic, there should always be a group of people that I like around me, around my same age, and if you're stuck there, you might find yourself moving into a new stage of life, but still being stuck in a mentality when it comes to, when it comes to your friendships. Maybe it's that you loved pregnant life, but you don't really particularly like kids' life. 
Maybe it's that you had an incredible job at some point in the past, and for whatever reason you left it. Maybe it was for a promotion. Maybe it was because of you know to move back closer to family because someone was sick. But work has never been quite as fun or fulfilling as it was back then. And again, if you find yourself here, and if you find yourself going, man, that's that's kind of me. That's kind of my story. That's kind of my experience. I, and and I, I don't know that I've put the words to it to to call it immaturity, but. That's kind of what it is that I feel like there was a time that if I could go back, I would go back to there in a heartbeat. If that's you and you're thinking, okay, well, what do you do about that? Here's what I want, what I want to say to you today. I want to read one short passage of scripture, and then I want to give you a simple truth that I believe exists because of this scripture. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote this. I am sure of this. I'm confident of this. I know this to be a fact. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, here's the simple truth. When I'm following Jesus, his best is ahead of me, not behind me. Matter of fact, that's such a simple but important truth that I would love to have us say it together on the count of three ready. One, two, three. When I'm following Jesus, his best is ahead of me, not behind me. That simple acknowledgement, it simply allows you to not hold so tightly, to not cling to the past as good as it was. And it allows your hands and your heart to be open for what God wants to place in your life and to place in your hands now, today. And I and I just want to let you give you a few ways that I've tried to play this out in in, in my life. I've tried to play this out in 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 the three P's of my life. When it comes to my my place, when it comes to my people, and when it comes to my purpose. Let me talk about these each real quick. When it comes to my place, I can genuinely tell you that every city that I have ever lived in, I loved living there while I was living there. I can also tell you that with the exception of Minneapolis, I have never had a city that I wanted to move back to once I was living somewhere else. I've lived in tiny, tiny, tiny little Watoma, Wisconsin, where my parents are are watching from today, a town of 2,000 people. I've lived in medium-sized Eau Claire, Wisconsin for a year of college. I lived in Minneapolis for six six years for college and a little bit after college, and it was the huge metropolitan city. I've lived in much smaller Alamogordo for for eight years of ministry, and I've lived in Las Cruces, which is much bigger than Alamogordo now for for almost five years. And I can say that just about everywhere that I have been, I have loved living there while I was living there. And here's why I bring that up. So many people think, well, there's certain places that if I lived there, then I would be happy. If I could just get to a bigger city, if I could just get to Texas, if I could just get to Colorado, if I could just get to Phoenix, if I could just get to a different place than here, then I'd be happy. And here's what I want to make sure you understand today. Places do not determine your happiness. You determine your happiness wherever you find yourself. The best days are not when you live somewhere else or when you will live somewhere else. The best days can be where you're living right now if you decide to embrace the approach that I decide my happiness, not a place. And I just simply decided that wherever God plants me, I'm gonna bring joy. I'm gonna find joy. I'm gonna find happiness. I'm gonna find person. A place will not determine my happiness or determine my joy. I will let God determine my joy wherever God plants me. 
That's what I mean when I talk about God, letting God determine what's best for me when it comes to my place. Let me talk about what it means for letting God determine what's best right now when it comes to people. One of my favorite things that I've gotten to see and experience over the, over the couple of years, over, over the last few years, as, as Jalen and I have been married for long enough that we've gotten to travel and see people, uh, is that Jalen has gotten to meet many of my friends and many of the most important people in my life as I was growing up. She got to meet the people that I, that I grew up with and some of my best friends as I was growing up. She got to meet Craig, got to meet Craig and Chanel and Nathan and Val and Robin and Chris. It's a different Chris, not me. I'm, I'm Chris, but this is a different Chris. And she's gotten to meet them. And she's gotten to meet my college friends and my early ministry friends like Ryan Skoog and Dave Skein and Josh Nickel and Shannon. And she's gotten to meet all of those people. And, and, and every time we get together with those people and we eat dinner while we're, while we're traveling somewhere, every time we get together, she, we get in the car and she looks at me and she says, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Everywhere you've ever been, you've had incredible friends. And obviously she knew all my friends in Alamogordo. She knows my friends here. And she goes, oh my gosh, like everywhere you've ever been, you've had incredible friends. And I just look at her and I say, well, duh, babe, I'm amazing. And I actually do say that, but that's not really, that's not really the point. The real secret is simply this. Everywhere that I've ever lived, I didn't cling so tightly to previous relationships that I missed the relationships that God placed right in front of me. And the craziest thing happens. As I've placed a high value on seeking out relationships, on being intentional to seek out relationships with incredible people. It's the amazing thing. God keeps bringing incredible people into my life and putting incredible people around me. See, some of you, you're feeling lonely right now. You're feeling lonely right now. And obviously, like, I think a lot of us are feeling lonely and, and disconnected, but be, even before the pandemic, there's a lot of people who are feeling lonely. And sometimes it's because you're hoping that someday God could give you friends like you had in college or in the last place that you lived. And I just want to say, I guarantee that for, for everyone out there right, watching right now, there is someone that God has placed around you right now, even in this season of the pandemic, that if you'll stop holding on to the past and do something in the present, God has something good for you. That's what it means to let God determine what's best and what's ahead of you when it comes to people. Let me finally talk about purpose. See, as you go through life, if you're paying attention, the big priorities of life shift as you enter new seasons. Priorities are different when you're single to when you're dating to when you're being engaged to when you're married to having babies with all the diapers to having kids in school to having kids who can drive to having kids who leave the house to having kids who come back when you're old and change your diapers. I mean, there's all kinds of priorities that change and shift and shift and shift and shift. Your purpose seems like it may shift with your priorities. And at times it can feel like, well, it doesn't feel like my purpose is growing. It doesn't feel like I have the same purpose. It just feels like more work and more responsibility and more work and more responsibility. And I just want to say, I, I have chosen to believe that, that, just like Philippians 1 says, I've chosen to believe that my purpose grows in every new season. See, I thought my life had a lot of purpose when I was a 25-year-old single youth pastor. And then I got married, and all of a sudden I was a, I was a pastor. But I was a pastor who also had the purpose and responsibility of leading my marriage, of leading a, a beginning family, and then we started a church, and I wasn't the, I wasn't the youth pastor anymore. I was, I was like, I was the pastor. And that purpose expanded again. That responsibility expanded again. Was there more work? Absolutely. You should try starting a church. The workload is crazy. It's so, I'm, I'm work, I work so much more and so much harder than when I was a youth pastor. That, and, 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 and so it's, it expanded again. And as the church grows, the, the, the work continues to grow. And, and, and it's like, okay, so it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then... 
a few years after we planted a church, we, we had a child. And then we had another child, and I was no longer just the pastor of a church. All of a sudden, I was a, I was, I was a pastor and a husband and a dad responsible for raising children who would love God and love people. And, and here's what I know. You can focus. You can focus on the fact that something is harder, or you can focus on the idea that your purpose is greater. And I've just simply decided with every new phase of life, even as life gets harder, even as the work gets harder, even as some days are not quite as fun as days in the past, I've simply decided that God has what's best ahead of me. God has what's best for me today. And I'm going to lean into that. And one of the best ways to lean into that is to embrace the purpose that God has for you right now. Your season of greatest purpose is not behind you. It's ahead of you. And it's what's right in front of you today. And today may just be your day of fulfilling your greatest purpose in the kingdom of God. So quick, quick ending here today. Let's make the decision to grow up. Let's make the decision that if there's pain in our past, if there's pain in our past that has paralyzed us, we are not going to fight the reality of what happened one more day. We're going to forgive the reality of what happened. We're going to forgive the people that caused us pain. We're going to forgive the life that caused us pain. We might even need to forgive God, but we're not going to fight reality one more day. We're just simply going to forgive so that we can move forward free. And let's make the decision that we're not going to hold on to the old days. We're not going to hold on to the good old days. We're not going to hold on to what we believe are our best days that are behind us. We're going to simply move forward as if God really does have better ahead of us than what's behind us, whether it comes to our place, when it comes to our people, and when it comes to our purpose. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so good. Thank you that you love us more than I can imagine. God, I thank you today that this word was, was convicting and challenging for me as I wrote it, even as I preached it. And God, I thank you that it's convicting and challenging, hopefully for people who are watching it right now. Because God, I know you want to make us better. I know you want to make us more mature. I know you want to grow every single one of us. So God, for all of us, I pray that we would have the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and the courage to actually do it. For some of us who need to forgive someone or need to forgive something, I pray that you would bring it to mind right now. And God, help us to know what we're supposed to do as a result, who we need to forgive, what we need to forgive. God, for some of us who are holding on to the past because it was, it was so great in our mind and in our, in our memory, it was the best days of our life. God, I simply pray that you would give us the wisdom to let go to open our hands and let go of that so that we can have our hands and our hearts and our minds and our eyes open to receive whatever you want to place in front of us and around us right now. God, we love you. Help us to believe that you have what's best for us and that you know what's best for us and help us to grow up and step into what you have for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.